And welcome back to America Can We Talk. And we are ready for our top of the second hour, first five. Short segments, so I run through a bunch of stories I would talk about longer if I only had longer. So first I want to mention that President Donald Trump has been on, the, on this, and again, Happy Easter, on this Easter and, uh, and Passover Sunday. Um, President Trump has been kind of a surprising hero for the uh, religious you know, community in America, for the evangelicals, just the Christian church in America. It's kind of a funny thing because I think that in the beginning of his campaign, people were worried about him, but he's actually done some major things to support religious freedom in America, uh, when I think he should get credit for, especially on this uh, Easter Sunday. You know, he did, of course, just appointing his judicial appointments uh, have been stellar on this subject, appointing people to the federal courts who actually honor and appreciate and, and, um, and you know, are, are going to support freedom of religion. Uh, Justice Gorsuch, of course, on the Supreme Court. And uh, Texas hero, I happen to know, uh, Judge Jim Ho, just a great guy, um, and will clearly support that. So great judicial appointments. Uh, Number two, uh, President Trump signed an executive order on religious liberty, uh, and then some guidelines were issued by Attorney General Jeff Sessions. And basically, they are talking about we're going to reassert the primacy of religious liberty. Again, that would be the free exercise part of the First Amendment. The First Amendment is not just about hunting down every possible expression of faith and calling it a violation of the Establishment Clause. Um, third thing that I wanted to really mention um, was that Trump has ended years of wasteful litigation um, over the HHS contraceptive mandate, you know, telling the nuns and their insurance policy they have to offer contraception. I mean, just, just ludicrous intolerance of people's varying views on faith. But the other big thing I want to mention President Trump did, he took the historic step within HHS of creating an entire division dedicated to protecting conscience and religious freedom. And even if you're listening and thinking that you don't really have religious freedom problems and you don't see it as a problem in this country, the notion that one of the primal promises, prime promises of our founders was the idea that you have the right of freedom of religion, which includes in America, of course, the freedom to not be religious, to reject religion, to have to change religions, to, you know, to explore different religions, to, you know, to be an agnostic. Any choice you make in America on religion is permissible in this country because of the Judeo-Christian thinking behind the formation of our country, behind the language in the First Amendment. So uh, I just wanted to, um, and actually the last thing President Trump is doing, his Department of Justice is actively defending religious liberty in court. Again, unlike the Obama administration, which was generally attacking religious liberty in court. So President Trump has been a, a surprising champion for um, freedom of religion, which I think is why, by the way, there are not. The, I saw some polling. And I think I might have mentioned it last week, but you know this this whole Stormy Daniels controversy. This um, you know, I don't want to call her an actress, whatever you call a porn star. Um, all this allegation, whatever went on between uh, her and Trump. I saw that there was a polling, and the vast majority of uh, Trump voters. It was 75% said, even if he did what she said, what she's alleging, it does not impact his ability to serve as president, which is kind of an amazing thing. doesn't impact his ability. Um, and then the other, the other just thought on that is, you know, I think that the evangelical, the, the, you know, the Christian right uh, in this country um, has recognized that, you know, they may not elect a uh, Christian, you know, um, pastor to be president. They just want someone to stand up for their rights, and they see President Trump doing that. And then on this, in this quick uh, first five, I'm going to tell you another interesting story on religious freedom in America. So 
the Catholic Church wanted to run ads on the bus system in Washington, D.C., the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., wanted to run ads about Easter services and to invite people to Easter services. And imagine this, they want to put scripture, like something from the Bible, in these ads. The Washington Transit Authority, that's not the right, the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority banned their holiday ad campaign because it contained a simple religious message. You can put a bunny rabbit up there, an Easter bunny, but anything symbolizing the actual meaning of Christmas, or excuse me, of Easter, is not permitted. It's funny, I said Christmas twice in this show. There was actually uh, this same archdiocese tried to put an ad up at Christmas time uh, with um, inviting people to come to church. It, it actually had uh, a star of Bethlehem, and it had the shepherds in the field at night, like from the Bible story, uh, and that was not okay. So there's a there's a notion that the the best way to protect religious freedom, or I don't know how these people would defend their actions, but it's kind of like you defend religious freedom or you defend the First Amendment by never allowing expression that relates to what religion actually means to people, what 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 it stands for. Okay, one other quick story that, uh, and I guess I'm on a President Trump roll today. He did also um, end up in our, um, uh, being a president has done some surprising things people didn't realize he was going to do. He has reset his transgender policy with the military, redone it recently last week. So basically making very clear he has he has a presidency, his memorandum that effectively affirms his earlier contested directive by precluding those with the term is gender dysphoria from serving in the U.S. military. He's hanging tough on something that conservatives thought was a no brainer. Of course, you don't need to have transgender people serving in the military. He is he is bearing down on that. He issued another executive order. Another one he is doing, which I don't really have time to get into, but he is revoking many things that the Obama administration put into play in this country uh, through executive order that were disruptive, that were beyond the scope of what you should be doing as president, that were rarely left-leaning, um, left-leaning ideology things. And President Trump is undoing a lot of them. And so I think, you know, even if people don't like some of his tweets and quotes and language, he is standing up for many conservative ideas. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America. Can we talk? Come right back. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, on this Easter Sunday and this Passover time, I was going to mention something interesting, kind of the intersection of politics and religion, but there was a very interesting uh, editorial written in um, from by Cardinal, this is in, in, um, in the Wall Street Journal, by Cardinal Timothy Dolan, very popular Catholic cardinal. And the name of the editorial is The Democrats Abandon Catholics. It's just a very interesting thing in this, in this era where we have a battle ongoing in America um, over abortion and over funding of Planned Parenthood by taxpayer dollars. And, you know, we have people, of course, on the conservative right uh, supporting the right to life. And we have uh, very strident voices on the American left in favor of, you know, abortion even up literally up until the moment that you would otherwise give birth. And so there's, you know, there's a, there's a battle for um, the, uh, over the issue of abortion. But I want to get to two things that I was going to say about where we are in this pro-life battle. Uh, and I want to get to this really, really interesting editorial written in by Cardinal Timothy Dolan. But on the um, pro-life argument, 
And I, I talked earlier in the show about how this is America is a Judeo-Christian nation, meaning in its founding, the ideas had not come from um, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, or any other world faith. They came from the history of Judaism and Christianity or the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament, New Testament. That was just the uh, integral basic thinking of our founders, even though, you know, people point to, well, you know, this particular founder believed this, he didn't believe that, you know, all sorts of kind of, you know, trying to parse about what the founders actually believed in, in their hearts and what their faith actually was. But the point of talking about the founding of America and Judeo-Christian uh, ideas is that it was it is a founding that maximizes freedom, that gives freedom to everyone. It is not, I mean, it, this precious First Amendment I've been talking about, you know, the balance of the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause and what that means, it really was intended to maximize people's personal religious freedom, to not have government dictate religion, um, and not to have uh, laws that, like in Sharia and in Islam, where Sharia is the code of laws in Islam, and Sharia is melded and interwoven into the constitutions and the laws in many Muslim-majority countries. And I hear the argument sometimes that the Christian belief in the pro-life view uh, constitutes imposing your religion on society. And I want to I want to hit that one point today because I think it's really it's a false point. It's a it's a you know fake news false point. But it's important to understand why. You know we have in America, of course, laws that say you know you, murder is illegal if a woman gave birth to a child and then chose to take her child's life um, for whatever reason she had, she would be prosecuted for murder. And we don't say. Well, it's your child. Do whatever you want with it. So we, so and and one of the Ten Commandments, as everyone I think knows, is do not kill. So the fact that there's a ten, a, a, an integral, you know, ruling in the Old Testament, the New Testament, in Jude, in Judaism, Christianity, that says do not kill, does not mean that because we have a state law and, and we have laws in every state that that you know outlaw murder, it doesn't mean we are imposing Judeo-Christian values on America. The thinking, the values behind Judeo, Judaism and Christianity informed the creation of our country and informed the, the notions of the why of the individual rights that each of us has, informed the idea we have rights from God. That thinking was all there, but there is a, um, a notion that you, um, that, I mean, we have laws, as I say, that outlaw murder, and that doesn't mean that we are imposing Christian values on Society simply because there is also a, a commandment in the Old Testament, do not kill. So that's a, it's a fake argument, and then people will take that with respect to abortion. I mean, you could be a, an atheist and believe that, of course, we should have laws that outlaw murder. We should always say murder is against the law. And you could be an atheist and say, and I think abortion should be against the law because abortion is killing a life, just happens to be an unborn life. I mean, I'm getting at the idea you don't have to be uh, a, a, a person of Jewish faith or a, Christ, or a Christian to think that abortion is wrong. And you don't have—it's it's a false argument the left and the men in the media will make this idea that uh, if you have laws that outlaw abortion or put limits on abortion, that you are imposing religion on the, the citizenry. That, that is not true. We— we are allowed to have laws that outlaw, that say you can't murder, and, and to define what life is. 
And I think that's really important to not let that, because I think that the American left gets a little bit of leeway sometimes, gets a little bit of credit for standing up against imposing uh, that the evangelicals or the Christian right would impose their religion on us. Outlawing abortion because life begins at conception is a belief you could hold, a, a goal you could have, whether you are a, a deeply Bible-believing Christian, whether you are an atheist, whether you are Jewish, whether you are Muslim, that the idea that, that we protect life. And so the idea of protecting unborn life in America is, is you know, a strong—I I, I am pro-life. I support the pro-life cause. And I think that pro-lifers need to stop agreeing that the only way, reason we think that abortion should be limited is because of our— is because we're trying to impose Christian theology on the rest of the world, on the rest of the country. And it may seem like a minor point, but I think the left gets some leeway saying, well, anti-abortion laws are an imposition, an establishment clause problem. It's the imposition by the Christians onto um, American society to say we should outlaw or limit abortion. And it's not. It's just not. Okay, so I want to make that point and then turn to what um, this was just very interesting you know, historically in America, many Catholics have voted Democrat. And there was, of course, the, you know, the Irish coming to America. And, and during the potato famine, many Irish people came to America. And we had Irish immigration here. And we had discrimination against Irish people in New York City and, uh, and other places, too. And, you know, signs are famous for, you know, Irish need not apply. No Irish, you know, no Irish welcome or something. And so the church, the Catholic church, very much welcomed uh, and, and helped Irish Americans transition when they came to America. And so, and that's not, I mean, I'm just saying historically there has been a connection between many immigrant groups and the Catholic Church. And there has been a historic notion that, you know, Irish and, and, and many Catholics, Italian Catholics, simply kind of because they are um, Catholic, that they will embrace the Democrat Party. And this is what, this is so interesting because this is what this Cardinal Timothy Dolan was writing about. And I guess the point I want to make about what it really means to preserve and protect America. He's making the point that historically the Democrat Party was very friendly to Catholics uh, in this country, helped Irish Catholics, was just very friendly toward um, the Catholic community. But he he points to three examples of people who are prominent in Catholic history, um, talks about Archbishop John Hughes, uh, the Archbishop of New York um, in 1842 to 1860. Um, and really worked to, to help the dignity of the Irish immigrants, um, and he defended their dignity and their rights. I uh, talked about another famous Irish per, uh, a Catholic person, <clears throat> a, um, an African-American woman named Dolores Greer, G-R-I-E-R, and she had converted to Catholicism and was uh, given a very, very high position in the church, the vice chancellor of the archdiocese for three, in three decades ago by Cardinal O'Connor, first lay person and first woman to hold that position. She was passionate about civil rights, and she was passionate about the right of life of babe, right to life of babies in the womb. So he's, that's the second person he's mentioning um, in, in his um, description. And he's basically going through the idea that, um, that historically the Catholic Church stood with many um, goals that Democrats have, but he's getting to the point now when the Democrat Party has become stridently anti-life, stridently pro-abortion, stridently intolerant. In fact, the Democrat Party chair, Tom Perez, said 
pro-life candidates are not welcome in the Democrat Party. This archbishop is raising the question, why is it that there is, and he's a cardinal, excuse me, a cardinal, why is it that in America we continue to have a Catholic vote tied to the Democrat Party when the Democrat Party no longer stands for the values of the Catholic Church? And I'm sure he took a lot of heat for writing this, but it's really interesting. I, you know, kind of gets around to the point I want to make about uh, you know, politics in America. We shouldn't be tribal in America. We shouldn't be, have allegiance. You know, if your job as a citizen is to be a patriot to America, to stand up for what America stands for, to em- embrace the founding of America, to support the Bill of Rights, if that's what you believe, you should not be wedded to one particular party as much as wedded to those values. And if your party moves away from your values, you need to vote your values and not your traditional party. The Democrat Party has managed to hang on to the Catholic vote for decades, despite the fact that they have wandered far from uh, the right to life valuing that is so um, instrumental in, um, in, in, I mean, the, 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 is so central to Catholic faith. And there's just really a, a need to recognize that this is a guy is a good thinker, and there are others like this, that we need to free ourselves from past history of, you know, what a party used to stand for or what they used to do, and where are we today? What's our job in preserving America today? And it may not be to vote with a party you always have if they've turned your back on America's values and your founding values and, and the founding values of our country and of your faith. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and come right back after our break. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informed the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. 
They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers, it's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk on this Easter weekend. I was going to tell you something really cool we did this, I did this past week, and um, it kind of relates to, uh, we've been talking tonight a lot about defending the Bill of Rights and particularly the, um, the First Amendment, but there was also a lot of news this week about the Second Amendment uh, to the Constitution relates to the right to keep and bear arms. And so this week I went to a, um, an event that was put on here in Dallas which featured the speaker, the Harvard professor, Alan Dershowitz. And um, if you know anything about him, uh, I will tell you, Alan Dershowitz, he's, he's con- considered one of the most brilliant legal minds in America. I mean, he's a, um, you know, he's a liberal. He supported Hillary Clinton. Um, but he has a unique, and what I think is just a, uh, he's a great example of, of something I try to say in this show really often, which is what we really should be loyal to is not a political party, not even a particular, not a particular person. Uh, I always, you know, you, we should be loyal to the principles of the founding of America. It's the only way to preserve America. We need to be able to criticize and disagree with people in our own parties or other parties when they do things inconsistent with the idea of the founding ideas of America. And in particular, Alan Dershowitz, he spoke at a conservative organization. It was a very big lunch, a lot of people there, and they're all conservative, I mean, pretty much. And he, um, but he spoke about his... Uh, lifelong commitment to the idea of uh, teaching at, at he teaches law at Harvard. So teaching at Harvard, um, what you um, uh, you know, what you how you want lawyers and and future leaders of America to think and to reason. So he talked about the example of you know in in law school they you know they I can tell you from law school they do call on you when you don't want to answer and they make you stand up and and grill you. They use, use a Socratic method. 
but he talked about, you know, he knew students were afraid in his class, but he really was trying to get them to learn not, he wasn't trying to teach them what to think, but how to think, how to reason, how to defend, how to think through why they think what they do, and what is the other side, and how can you, you know, articulately refute what the other side is saying, teaching you how to reason, how to think. It, it's just, it's a, it is a great thing from law school um, that you, you do acquire if you pay any attention. So Alan Dershowitz was uh, here in Dallas uh, this past week, and he was talking about um, his adherence to and his, what he sees as just a primal importance of defending the Bill of Rights. And in particular, he, got, he talked about many issues. I mean, honestly, it was just a great uh, event. And if I get a link to it, I will link it on our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. I believe the organization that sponsored this, the Institute for Policy Innovation, I think they were recording it. So I'm going to guess maybe it'll be up on their uh, website before long, this, this entire speech by Dershowitz. But he was loved by this crowd. Um, and I'm going to get into the Second Amendment thing in a, while, in a moment, but I'll tell you a couple of funny things why people like him so well. One was <clears throat> that he was talking about, you know, he has uh, throughout the Trump, he, he didn't support President Trump, but throughout the Trump administration, um, he's frequently a guest on Fox News and also on left-wing news sites and just all sorts of places. And he's prominent in the media and he never deviates from this idea that your job as a true American, as a, as a you know, conservative is to now he wouldn't say conservative a, 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 a patriot is to defend the ideas that are, are embedded in America's founding and so sometimes you have to disagree with your political party I mean he's a Democrat he said I'm a centrist Democrat uh, he was going to stick with the Democrat Party he is going to stick with them he hopes they he thinks they're in the sna- they're ensnared by the radical left which is like the understatement of the century but yes the Democrat Party has been completely taken over by radical leftists. And he acknowledges this, but he's saying he wants to bring the Democrat Party back to the centrism that he sees at why he's a you know a centrist Democrat. Um, which and then he was say so he was talking about, you know, you can't really make policy when you're so far left and he thinks there are people on the right, too far right, and, and, and centrism is the answer. But among the things he was talking about I thought were so interesting was in uh, in this time since President Trump was elected he has taken positions, for example, saying that the entire FISA court process uh, under which President Trump was, you know, the, um, the FBI D- Department of Justice, those people colluded with the Hillary Clinton people, the fusion GPS people, that's my terms, not his, colluded. It was the FBI leadership, the DOJ leadership, uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign, the Obama administration colluded against President Trump or candidate Trump during the campaign, got FISA court application, made a FISA court application for a warrant, got a FISA court warrant, used the warrant to spy on uh, their political enemies and try to destroy the Trump um, campaign, the Trump, um, you know, effort to become president. So, you know, he was really, he's been very good about that. Uh, Alan Dershowitz has been just remarkable in his willingness to just stand with principle, not stand with party, but stand with principle and insist that the law be followed. And he's, he made a funny comment about he has lost seven pounds this year. And the reason he attributes it is because he doesn't get invited to the liberal parties anymore. He's, you know, he's in Boston. The liberal elites don't invite him anymore because they're kind of mad at him because he's standing above what um, you know, that the Democrat Party is supporting within the FBI and the Department of Justice is letting them run amok, letting the deep state try to take down a political opponent, which is what happened at the FBI and DOJ. So he's been really great about that. But what he talked about at this talk, and I want to then compare it with 
um, the um, post the uh, editorial that was posted by former Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens, um, who came out basically saying we need to repeal the Second Amendment. And what and, and Alan Dershowitz mentioned this in his talk, and it was it was really quite good. Dershowitz was saying, "Don't touch the Second Amendment. You don't change." The Second Amendment. You don't change any of the Bill of Rights. He he went through you know various things of importance of the Bill of Rights. You know the freedom of speech and religion and assembly and you know unreasonable search and seizure and the right to a jury trial and you know I mean all the the uh, Bill of Rights. And he just talked about these are so profoundly important to preserving America and no ma- and, and to holding on to a culture based in liberty. That even if you're very upset and you don't like the kind of guns some people have and you don't like the idea, obviously no one likes the horrible violence that occurred in Florida or any of the any use of a gun, you know, to kill innocent people. It, obviously, it's, it's abhorrent and it's, it's deeply upsetting. But he's saying, you know, you, you can't do that. You have to hold to the higher principle. And I can't recall the words he used. I'm going to put it in my words. But he did talk about the idea that the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, it is there to keep, my words, not his, to keep a balance of power between the people and the government. This is what the reason the Second Amendment exists. It is not there to go hunting, target practice, or even just to defend your home, although that is a use of it. The Second Amendment is there to keep a balance of power between the people and um, the government. And so, he, uh, Alan Dershowitz, was just really uh, shook his head at John Paul Stevens. What's really interesting is John Paul Stevens, you probably saw, had an editorial in the Wall Street Journal where um, he, was, he basically came out and said he supports the protesters, this student march led by these you know, airhead high school students who have suffered trauma but are making ridiculous um, claims and ridiculous statements. I mean, just absurd things that not, not, can't be taken seriously. But John Paul Stevens is an example of someone who, honestly, it's shocking he ever made the Supreme Court. He was appointed, actually, by George, I think it was George H.W. Bush. Um, he, I mean, he's been, yeah, yeah, 1970, no, by Gerald Ford in 1975. So he's a Republican appointee to the court, but actually perfectly willing to abandon a core tenet of American freedom, which is the Second Amendment. And I just want to commend, so I'm, you know, the John Paul Stevens Republican has, a man, he is, I think, 96 or something, very senior guy, Maybe he's not thinking clearly anymore, but he did dissent even in the case when the Supreme Court said, yes, the Second Amendment actually means you have the right to keep and bear arms, which is, was astonishingly a, a question the Supreme Court was presented with during the time that he served in the Supreme Court. The question came up to the Supreme Court in a case, does the Second Amendment actually mean you get to keep and bear arms in your home, or does it mean something else? And the court ruled very clearly John Paul Stevens dissented, but the court ruled, yes, the entire point in the Second Amendment, you actually get to keep and bear arms in your home. And so I, I just um, I was very troubled by I, I, you know, so he, this Republican appointed Supreme Court justice has either lost his way or never had it. But the idea of re- repealing the Second Amendment is a dangerous step for America, a dangerous step for free people. Um, and, and Alan Dershowitz, a Democrat who's, you know, a still a Hillary Clinton supporter, um, was very clear about that. And I think this this uh, Second Amendment battle is not going to go away. I think the left thinks they have a, a big issue this fall, that they are the ones. They always say reasonable gun control. And we come back from the break, I'm going to talk with you about what people, when they say they want reasonable gun control, what they really mean. They mean, they mean 
exactly what Justice John Paul Stevens said. They mean the repeal of the Second Amendment. They mean taking away your guns. The history I'm going to share with you when we come back from the break about how the Nazis used the laws about a gun registry and then taking away guns and then is exactly what you could see coming in America. And you might think, well, it never happened here. But the people who are familiar with history, who recognize throughout the you know centuries of watching governments rise and fall, recognize when you start to agree that government can take away your guns, you're surrendering a major portion of your freedom. And when you surrender it, you surrender the right to keep and bear arms, you're going to have a big, long fight ever getting it back. Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk, come right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers, and if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. 
Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. And one last time, I hope you're having a lovely Easter weekend, lovely Passover season with your family. Um, and we did talk a lot about freedom of religion uh, in this show tonight. You know, I really wanted to dedicate it to that and to to um, encouraging us all to embrace the importance of it. And I, but I want to, um, and I want to finish on this gun control um, issue that is going to be looming in America. Uh, it'll be a 2018 midterm election uh, issue. The, the Democrats think they have the high ground, saying. Uh, that we're going to go for um, repealing the Second Amendment. Uh, they're not going to say that. They're going to say they want reasonable gun control, which is one point I wanted to make. This is always the effort the American left will say. It's all, they're never going to say, we just wish that people didn't have guns. They're always going to say, well, just reasonable restrictions, just this, just that. And, I, and I, you know, it's interesting because now the focus, the easy focus is on these automatic, you know, however you want to define it, automatic rifles, something where, left can say, why would you possibly need an automatic rifle to defend you know, your home? Why would you need that for hunting? Why would you need that for target practice? Why would you need that to defend a school? The truth is you need what you, what you need uh, to counter whatever the bad guy has, number one. And number two, even if we were to say in America, okay, well, there's certain kinds of automatic rifles. We're just going to, you know, the government's going to force us to give them up. Handguns, they ever popular handguns are responsible for 50% of all homicides in America. If you concede to the left that some categories that they get to define are guns are not okay, if you cannot see, you must be able to see that the next thing they'll go for is handguns. My gosh, half of all homicides. If we just took away handguns, look at this, half of the homicides would go away. These are arguments I know they appeal to young, ignorant people. I know they appeal to these, and and my heart goes out to these students from Parkland, in Florida, who watched the horrific um, attack on their school occur, watched their friends die, watched their teachers die. I mean, they've been through a trauma, but they are not informed on uh, enough about history, enough about the the role of weapons in the hands of the people versus only in the hands of the government to be taken seriously. They, they They are not serious participants in the adult conversation. They need to go back and learn more in school, and I'm going to share a little bit about that right now. And John Paul Stevens is why I said I'm just I, I'm I'm so glad in the same week that John Paul Stevens wrote uh, this editorial that there was this thing I was able to attend an event I was able to attend with Alan Dershowitz who liberal as he is uh, and happily announcing he's a Democrat I guess he doesn't acknowledge he's a liberal he would say he's a he says he's a centrist but very very clear on the the place and importance of the Second Amendment in America 
Well, what I want to talk about just a little bit, and, why, and, and people who know history, what they end up, what, why they end up so concerned about people in government talking about taking your guns away, is a lot due to being aware of what happened in Germany under the Nazis. And I want to just share a few things that happened under Germany's Weimar Republic. There are arguments being made in the 1920s for gun registration. So gun registration started happening way back in the 1920s in Germany's Weimar Republic. So law-abiding people complied. They registered their guns. You know who didn't comply? Who did not register? The communists and the Nazis. People who mean harm are not going to comply with laws you pass. They're not going to comply whether it's a registry law or whether it is a law saying you what kind of guns you can or cannot purchase. They're not going to comply. It is not in their interest to comply. They have their guns for a reason. So in 1931, the Weimar authorities discovered plans for a Nazi takeover in which the Nazis were saying the Jews will be denied food and, and persons refusing to surrender their guns within 24 hours would be executed. So this is put the fear of people, you better turn your guns in or uh, the Nazis are going to kill the Jews. So these, uh, these uh, Nazi takeover plan was written by Werner Best, who was a future Gestapo official. So in reaction to those threats, uh, the government authorized the registration of all firearms and the confiscation if, and this is the language they put, if required for public safety. So now the government's moving toward, to, in Germany, taking guns away uh, if needed for public safety. In 1933, so 1933, Adolf Hitler takes power. He seizes power, and now he has records in his hands at his disposal in Germany of all of these records of who has weapons and what they have. He used the records to identify, disarm, and attack his political opponents and Jews in Germany because the registry existed. Now, you know, I mentioned this show before um, that there is a national law in America that there cannot be a federal gun registry. There's a law that says that in America. You can't have a federal gun registry. In various ways, various agencies in Washington have bits and pieces of a gun registry but there is no one official gun registry. Okay, so then during the five years of repression under Hitler that followed, society was cleansed, you know, and ter- mean in their term cleansed, meaning they got rid of many Jews. They put people in labor camps. <clears throat> they suspended normal rights of citizenship from the Jews. And in 1938, Hitler signed a new gun control act. Now that many enemies of the state have been removed, some restrictions were liberalized, restrictions on owning guns liberalized, mainly for the Nazi party members. Jews still prohibited from owning weapons and also from working in the firearm regist- firearms industry. Okay, so then, so anyway, this goes on. The German Jews were ordered to surrender their weapons. Police had records of everyone who registered them, and even those people whose weapons were voluntarily uh, given, uh, surrendered to the government were still turned over to the Gestapo. So all of this is um, happening under Hitler, who had an evil plan, and I know you could be listening to this and think, but this is the United States of America. This is America. This is, you couldn't happen here. And I don't think, and I think in America, the brilliance of our founders, the creation of our government, uh, dedicated to and committed to the rights and freedom of the individual, you know, separation of powers, 
you know, try, things written into the Constitution of our country designed to prevent tyranny from developing. But these are reasons. These are people in the generation who fought in World War II or who were alive and aware of things in World War II or studied it afterwards, studied it now, realized that a gun registry gets people to the point uh, where the government knows who has what, and then you don't, you know, and then who knows in the future how it is used. And I think there's a, um, you know, there are things that need to be done about guns in America. Um, I, I'm in favor of, for example, if you've been committed, if you've committed a crime, been convicted of a crime using a gun, I'm fine with you. You can't have a gun again. If, you, if you're using it to rob banks or, or to engage in violence of any kind, then we don't need that. But the, um, you know, it's a, it's an amazing thing for me coming from a you know, family in upstate New York where we had no guns in the home, never discussion of guns, to recognize the place. And especially, I'll tell you, women tend to be sympathetic to these gun registry ideas that, um, or, or gun confiscation ideas or gun laws. And I'm just I'm sounding the alarm bell along with, you know, thousands of other Americans that, you know, the idea that the government has a great role in regulating guns, knowing who has them, registering them, limiting what kinds you can have. It can only lead to a dangerous situation. It's a dangerous, you know, slippery slope down to where the people are unarmed and the government's armed. And this is unhealthy for America. It was unhealthy for the Cubans. Once Castro got elected, he said, hey, we've gotten rid of all the the bad guys. You know, the people won. Turn in your guns. And they did. And here we are with Cuba. They have no way to fight back. There's just a there's a balance of power in a free country that that requires uh, legality of gun ownership, at least for people who don't use them to commit crimes. Okay, one of the story I want to hit tonight has a few more minutes left. But this is a such an entertaining story. And we're going to have to talk about it again uh, going forward. But in this show, America Can We Talk, dedicated to preserving America. Donald Trump has done something that just has the American left, especially the California Democrats, in a tizzy, in a hissy fit, which is our Constitution requires every 10 years that we do a census. It's called an enumeration in the Constitution, but it requires a census every 10 years. You basically try to figure out how many people are in the country. That's the job. And so when people respond to the census, you know, they're trying to count how many people are within the borders of the U.S. And up until 1960 or so, there was a question on the census, are you a citizen? That question was removed in 1960, probably in large part because we had really cut back on immigration and we were we and most people were citizens. But President Trump has announced that the census we will do in America in the year 2020 is going to have the question are you a citizen? The state of California, out of their minds over this, have already filed a lawsuit against the federal government saying that you cannot ask on the census, are you a citizen? This is, I mean, I can't tell you how brilliant this move was by Donald Trump and how it really exposes the American left. Because let me tell you what the answer to that does. It doesn't say if you're, a, uh, if you're not a citizen, you can't you participate in the census. It just says, you're going to end up in Washington knowing how many citizens in California, how many people in California who answered the census are citizens and how many are not. So once in Washington they have this information, it affects a lot of things. The census is done to determine how many people the, a particular state gets to send to the U.S. Congress. Estimates by one organization is that California has five more representatives in Congress 
than they should based on their population because the population of illegal immigrants is so large there, there are more people in Congress than should be. Congress is intended to represent the citizens of a state. So it exposes, it may, it may limit the number of people they can send to Congress. It limits federal dollars. The census numbers are used to decide federal dollars being distributed on all sorts of programs, roads, hospitals, all sorts of, of social spending in this country. The idea we can now know what percent of the spending Washington's sending to California would be sent to people who aren't legally here. And then the third point is it impacts the Electoral College. The electoral, the electoral College, where California is always a given to go all electoral votes to go for the Democrat. What if we could cut down those numbers with true answers from the census and base Electoral College numbers on actual citizens and not illegal immigrants? I will keep you posted on this story because it has gotten the left in a tizzy. They cannot believe that someone actually is making a distinction between a citizen and a non-citizen. But citizenship is a profound commitment in America. It means something. It means standing up for the ideas of America. And this is a brilliant move by Donald Trump to say, I want to know, not just California, everywhere, are you a citizen or not? Things could change once those answers come in. Folks, I love talking to you every week. Again, happy Easter. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week on America Can We Talk, Sunday nights, 6 to 8 p.m. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.